people came in and talked about the um, mission trip with the Dominican Republic, and they told us about Rudy and how he was building a school for um, the kids in the Dominican Republic, which don't really get food um, that often because they they don't have very much money and um, their parents can't leave their kids alone. Y empezamos lo que es una pequeña escuelita. Empezamos con con cuatro niños dentro de mi casa. Después empezamos con doce niños un año después. Después empezamos con treinta y dos niños. Después cincuenta y dos niños. Después ochenta y cinco niños. I felt like I should really make a difference in that. I should help out as well. I went home and I talked about it with my dad. And we decided to go to the store and grab some supplies to do the lemonade stand. Um, this is all the money I got for the Dominican Republic and how that they're building um, a school and they're trying to finish it. And if Rudy gets the money for the land, then he can make a cafeteria. And if he makes a cafeteria, he'll get funds for food for the students in the Dominican Republic. I really hope that this will make an impact on the Dominican Republic and it will really help out. Ahora entre 110, 125, algo así para este próximo año. Dios ha bendecido nuestra vida. Mi esposa y yo hemos adoptado una sola visión y es de que las personas y la gente de la comunidad conozcan a Cristo como nosotros lo hemos conocido. I felt really happy that I was able to do it and that I made a difference. It's important to help and give because even though it may not seem you're making a big difference to your opinion, it really does make a big difference. Um, and it might inspire more people to help out as well. The Bible says, and a child will lead them. And what beautiful leadership Emma has given us in how to have a caring and a sharing heart. I'm Bill Balknight, a retired United Methodist pastor. But you know, the word retirement is not in the Bible. And I have made a commitment to keep on preaching the gospel as long as the Lord gives me breath to breathe and a fairly reliable brain. And I'm so grateful to Pastor Jeff for inviting me to be part of the preaching team here. And I'm thankful to you for allowing me to occasionally preach the gospel here in this beautiful place. Join with me now, please, in prayer. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. There are loads of stories about people who find these 
magic lamps that if you rub them, the genie pops out and you get free wishes. My favorite, man's walking on the beach, sees this antique looking lamp, picks it up, rubs it, out pops a genie, says this is your lucky day. I'm going to grant anything you ask, but only one wish. The man thought to himself, wow, this is wonderful, but only one chance. I got to be very careful what I ask. So he sat down and pondered, came up with a big idea. He said to the genie, I want to see the stock market page from the newspaper dated one year from today. Puff, up goes some smoke. Genie's gone. Floating down is this page from the newspaper. He grabs it and just peruses this trophy. He says to himself, this is incredible. I can invest every dime I've got without fear of failure. And a year from now, I am going to be incredibly wealthy. This is wonderful. Then he just happened to flip the page in the paper over to the back, and it was the obituary column. And guess whose name was at the top of the list? His own. And suddenly, all that money he was going to make did not seem nearly as important. Why? Because he had been forced to look at all of life, including possessions, from an eternal perspective. My purpose today is to try to help us look at all of life, including money and possessions, from an eternal perspective. And I'm going to be lifting up three what I call treasure principles from the Bible. And I urge you to fill in the blanks in the sermon outline because there will be a test later on. In America, the love of affluence is almost in the air we breathe, the water we drink. If you hear someone say, how much is John worth? You immediately assume you're talking about his financial assets. If you hear the, the words, the bottom line, almost invariably you think that's the financial bottom line. But for a Christian, you know, John's worth is determined by his creator and the cross. And for a Christian, the bottom line ought to be a person's relationship with God. Our spending tells volumes about us. Our monthly bank statements reveal a whole lot about the priorities in our lives. And because our spending and our possessions exert such a huge influence, Jesus said a whole lot in the Bible about those subjects. Indeed, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 15% of all Jesus' statements are about money and possessions. He said more about those subjects than about heaven and hell combined. And therefore, those subjects ought to be important for us. Many church members miss the glory of given, giving because they don't understand Christian stewardship. Many of them regard their giving as a tax or a fee for service. In other words... I give to the church, and the church provides services to me. A beautiful place to worship, pastoral care if I need it, hospital visit if I need it, weddings, funerals. I pay my money, the church provides services. But that's an incorrect understanding because that just turns the church into a 
sort of a religious country club. Recently, the best-known child theologian in America, Dennis the Menace, created by the brilliant Hank Ketchum, had a word on this subject. By the way, how would you like to be Dennis's pastor, knowing that every Sunday when he comes to the door, he's going to offer some uncensored, very candid observation about worship or sermon? Well, on this particular Sunday, Dennis steps up to the pastor and he says, why don't you do like they do at the movies? Take up the money before you let them come in. In other words, he had been influenced by the culture to see giving as a fee for service. Now, it's not just kids who have misunderstandings. Adults do too. Misunderstanding Christian stewardship. The late great newscaster, Paul Harvey, told about a woman who phoned in one day to the Butterball Turkey Consumer Hotline to ask a question. Her question was this. She said, I've had this Butterball Turkey in my freezer for 23 years, and I would like to know if it's safe to eat it. The expert said, well, if your freezer has been at zero temperature or below for all that period of time, it would be safe to eat it. But he said, I must warn you, it will have lost much of its flavor. She said, that's what I thought. We'll just donate it to the church. <laughs> In other words, her understanding of giving was, you give what's left over after you meet every other need. The Bible's statements about possessions, money, are profoundly countercultural. And I want to lift up these three treasure principles and uh, fill in the blanks because I will check you later. The first one, God owns everything and we are his money managers. God owns everything and we are his money managers. That is not the world's view. That's not the typical American's view. Typical American says, look, I worked for my money and nobody is going to tell me how to spend it. It's mine. But listen to God's Word. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then God's Word from Deuteronomy. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, end of quote. Now, here's what this means. We own nothing, nothing. All we have is a temporary lease on a lot of material assets. We're going to leave this world with as many material assets as we came into it with. Zero. God is the permanent owner of everything. And one day we will have to give an accounting to him of how we used his assets. Just imagine mother and father, teenage son Walter, go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. And they order their food, sit down, have a blessing, start eating. Now, Walter's the only one who ordered French fries because mom and dad are on a diet. 
But after a little while, Dad reaches over and takes a few of those French fries. And Walter says, no, Dad, those are mine. Now, I want you to think how absurd that sounds. You know who paid for that meal? Walter didn't. But those are my French fries. We are like Walter sometimes, folks, in assuming that our material assets are possessions rather than loans. Just think about it. If we didn't have a fairly good brain and some physical health, we could not earn a dime. Even the next breath we take is sheer gift. And since God owns everything and will one day call us to account for how we use his assets, doesn't it make sense to manage money God's way? Sure it does. Here comes the second treasure principle. We can serve God or greed, but not both. That is not the world's attitude. I, I wouldn't even call it the Methodist attitude because I've been working with Methodist people now for a long time. And I know that a lot of Methodists believe, hey, I can have co-chairmen in my tournament of favorites. God and money. Why not both? Indeed, I have known some church members who paid more to their country club every month than they gave to God's church. I know that's hard for you to believe, but it's really true. Now, Jesus said a resounding no to that kind of double-mindedness. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, one will have the upper hand. And in Proverbs 4, verse 23, again, we listen to that theme verse for this season at, at Mount Horeb. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And the heart here refers to what or whom we treasure. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And in America, there is a great competition in many hearts between God Almighty and the Almighty Dollar. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. You know what it says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is morally neutral. It can do great good, great harm, depending on who controls it. Money built this magnificent auditorium. Having said that, the most seductive false god in America is money. More Americans go to hell every year because of love of money than because of any other form of idolatry. Now, over the last uh, few weeks, you may have seen advertisements calling you to get a flu shot. I had one last week. And the advertisement says, you know, you don't want to suffer when the weather gets cold and the flu is going around. Get your shot now. And that's fine. But there's a more dangerous disease out there than the flu. And I'm not talking about the Zika virus either. I'm talking about the disease of greed. You see, flu and every other physical ailment can only hurt you in this life. The disease of greed can not only wreck your life here, it can separate you from God for all eternity. Here's the good news. I know of a way we can virtually inoculate ourselves against the disease of greed. It is to 
tithe. That means to give the first 10% of our income to the Lord with gratitude and thanksgiving. And he becomes a financial partner with us. Now, the primary purpose of tithing is to grow our faith as we see the miracles that God is able to do when he is a financial partner with us. We can see them every month in our financial affairs. And in, there's only one place in the whole Bible where we're invited to test God. Other places we're told don't test God. In the book of Malachi, we're told to test him in regard to tithing. Test him and see if he will not become a financial partner with us and do wonderful things in our financial affairs. Think about this. It is almost impossible to give 10% of your income to something or someone you do not love. Isn't that true? Ah, oh, you might give 1% or 2% to, just to look respectable or out of duty, not 10. That's too much. God has to have a considerable chunk of your heart before you can give 10% to his body, which is the church. And so I want to ask us to be honest with ourselves this morning. Which one has a higher place in your heart today? God or money? Here comes the third treasure principle. When our hearts belong to Christ, the more we give, the happier we are. That is not the world's attitude. The world's attitude is, if I give, I am diminished. I have less, and therefore I am less happy. Christian stewardship never begins with the question, how much should I give to Mount Horeb so that we can keep the institution going? Never. Never begins. Great Christian stewardship begins with the gospel. The, go the word gospel means good news. But before we can hear the good news, we got to hear the bad news. The bad news begins with the stark realization that we, you and I, are just plain old sinners who, apart from Christ, deserve to go straight to hell. Now, if that disturbs your self-esteem, I am not a bit apologetic. My job is to tell you the truth, not make you feel good. When you have digested that bad news, you're ready to hear the good news. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All we have to do is repent and receive that gift by faith. And it's ours. Paid for by Christ on the cross. Now, once I truly understand that my abundant life here and eternal life hereafter are sheer gift, paid for by Christ on the cross, I'll be overwhelmed with gratitude. And then the question becomes, how much should I give to God and His church to show my gratitude? Because you see, great giving is grateful giving. Great giving is Grateful giving. And from that perspective, you see, giving 10% seems pretty small. And the more I give, the happier I am. I'm thinking about a couple who were in my Memphis church. 
um, young couple. They had a couple of preschool children. And therefore, for a period of time, the wife was full-time homemaker. Her husband was a salesman, and he was a good one. He worked for straight commission. That's the way he wanted it. He loved it. Now, every year, he would pledge to the church 10% of his earnings the previous year. But I told you he was a good salesman. So he kept earning. So usually about halfway through the year, or maybe two-thirds, he would get in touch with me and say, Brother Bill, I have completed my pledge to the church, but I'm still earning money. Could you suggest a few kingdom causes, maybe that didn't get into the budget, that I could give to? By the way, if you want to make Pastor Jeff a happy man, you get in touch with him with a message like that. That'll just make his day. Well, I would consult a few of the church leaders and come up with three or four kingdom causes, and he would give to them. And one day he said to me something that I'll always remember. He said, Brother Bill, my giving is more fun than my spending. My giving is more fun than my spending. And immediately I thought of a statement Jesus made. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed in the Greek can also mean joyful. It is more blessed or joyful to give than to receive. When my wife and I were getting ready to get married 48 years ago, a man whom we admired, very wise man, said to me, uh, Brother Bill, you and Gloria, if you want me to give you some financial advice that will ensure that you never have a financial problem, I'm willing to do it. I said, I'd be delighted. My, my annual salary at that time was $5,500. I said, I, I need any help you can give me. He said, out of every paycheck you ever get, give the first 10% to God and he will become a financial partner with you and he can make 90% go farther than you can make 100% go. He said, take the next 10% and save it. And then spend the remaining 80% with joy and thanksgiving. We've done that for 48 years. We've never had a real financial problem. Oh, we've had those times when the last week or 10 days of the month, there's a dollar and 95 cents in the checking account, you know. But you know, that's not a real financial problem. You just get creative with what's in the refrigerator. That's what you do. And you don't write any checks for a few days. But I tell you, there have been times over those 48 years when there was a genuine financial need that our resources did not cover. Some unexpected medical problem. Um, the tuition for our son in college goes up. Uh, the car that we expected to keep another year just won't last. Got to be traded. I tell you, there have been so many times when in situations like that, money almost appeared out of midair. And at first I was shocked. I'm not anymore. Grateful, yes. I just know that God is a financial partner with us. And he is so much smarter than we could ever be in terms of finances or anything else. Now what I've offered to you this morning are three treasure principles. And I told you we were going to have a test. 
So I want you to say them out loud with me now. First, God owns everything and we are his money managers. Number two, we can serve God or greed, but not both. And third, say it with me, when our hearts belong to Christ, the more we give, the happier we are. Let me close with uh, one of my favorite Charles Allen stories. Now, those of you who don't recognize the name, Charles Allen was one of the great Methodist preachers of the 20th century. Um, he died about 10 years ago, well up in his 90s. He served the great First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas for over 25 years. Uh, Charles grew up in the Loudsville community of White County, Georgia. On a small farm, family didn't earn much money on the farm, but then they didn't need much because they grew most of what they uh, ate. One Christmas Eve, Charles's father hitched up the wagon to the horse there and uh, went into town Cleveland, a town nearby, to buy supplies. And he invited Charles to go with him. And on the way, he gave Charles the first dime he had ever possessed as his own. He said, son, this is a Christmas present. When we get to town, you shop around, use it for anything you want to, and meet me back at the wagon at such and such a time. Now, this is 100 years ago, folks. A dime would walk and talk back then. Well, what a, what a shopping spree Charles went on when they got to town. My goodness. He went into one store, a candy store, and for a dime you could buy enough candy to give the whole family indigestion. Yeah. Went into another store and you could purchase a tablecloth with the U.S. Constitution printed on it for a dime. Went into another store, you could buy three oranges for a dime. And Charles had never had an orange before. That was tempting. He went on shopping all over town. And then time began to run out on him. He had to make a decision, so he did. Made his purchase, put it into a bag. Off he went to the wagon. On the way home, his father was curious. He said, son, what did you use your time for? Charles handed him the package and said, open it. His father reached in and pulled out a large red bandana. And Charles said, this is a Christmas present from me to you. Charles Allen then added, he said, over the years, I've earned a good bit of money through the sale of my books. And over 25 of his books were, made the bestseller list. He said, I've made a lot of money, and I've given some very expensive presents to people I love. But he said, never has the giving of a present meant more to me than taking the first dime I ever owned and using it for a gift for the one who had given it to me in the first place. When we consider that God owns everything, and has loaned us so much. What a shame it would be if we missed the opportunity to give our first and best to the one who has given his all for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.